0: Let's open our Bibles today to the book of Philippians this morning. We're talking these days about the letters that Paul is writing while he is incarcerated. The title of our message today is Arrested and Doing Well. It's amazing when you read uh, what Paul writes how relevant it is for you and me today. In that day, whenever they, opened the, whenever they wrote the letters, they always put their name up front, and so Paul does that in verse 1. Paul and Timothy bond servants, doulos, uh, literally slaves of Jesus Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus, all the saints means those who are set apart. All the saints in Christ Jesus were at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons, uh, bishops, of course, were overseers, superintendents. Somebody has to do that in the church. Somebody has to like look around, uh, view the landscape, see what's going on, what direction people are going in, and and to be willing to uh, step in at the proper moment and redirect if needed. And uh, so there were bishops there. They were the overseers, and then there were the deacons, and uh, they were the ones who served alongside. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Uh, The church of Philippi was a unique church. It's one of the uh, nice, best churches in the New Testament. And he says, and I'm I'm sure that one of the reasons why it is is because of uh, people like Paul praying for it. And in verse number 4, that's what he says. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. Someone said in a commentary, I read that Paul had a big prayer list, and as you read his letters that he wrote in the New Testament, he just kept talking all the time. And, well, I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for you, and I keep praying for you, and be sure I pray for you. He says here, when I pray for you, I do it with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day, and that means he established the church, and from that very first day, they bonded They bonded with him. Who couldn't? with the person who established the church. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. One of the greatest verses, we should all memorize this verse, have it uh, at easy access. Just that it is right for me to, thank, to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. You're always with me. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense when I'm, when I'm incarcerated and when I'm free, In the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace, uh, with me of grace, of the blessings of God. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with affection of Jesus Christ, and this I pray, there he is again, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve, discern, judge the things which are excellent, the best things in life, that you may be sincere, pure, and without f- offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which is by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually—I like that right there—actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has been become evident to the whole palace guard. I want you to notice this. The whole palace guard. These are the kingmakers in Rome. The kingmakers. The elite military force. The praetorian. So that it has become evident to the whole, all of them. uh, Praetorian guard. And to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. He says they all know I'm here. And they know the reason I'm here. Because I'm preaching the gospel. And I won't fly under the radar because I can't get the job done flying under the radar. I have to be up front, uh, boisterous and loud, and uh, on the spot with the gospel. Well, Paul spent a lot of his time in jail, as you read his life. Two years in Caesarea, uh, Acts 24, 25, 26. There he was uh, just kind of Felix's personal spiritual conversationalist. He, he then here we find this story is, is couched in Acts chapter 28, verse 30 and 31. Now, we always use the term prison letters, but uh, this, he's under house arrest here. And he's renting his house, by the way, he has to pay the rent on this house. But he can't leave if people can come to him. And then he had a final imprisonment right before his death in Rome. So at least three times or, or more uh, do we experience that. Uh, he's, uh, he's arrested in Jerusalem. This precipitated uh, uh, all of this that's transpired. They accused him of starting a riot, and he really did. Uh, he was good at riots. you know. That was like one of his expertise. When he went there, he probably his, his entourage probably said, I wonder how long it'll take this time for a riot to break out. Well, a riot did break out, and the Jewish leaders came against him. I'll tell you what, they wanted to tear his heart out. But the Romans stood up for him, and they protected him, they arrested him, that was a good thing. They protected him, and they didn't know what to do with him. He was like a hot potato. Uh, they would send him to this person, and they said, okay, I don't want to deal with that. You send him to some other person. They kept bouncing him around, and eventually he said, listen, I'd like to see Caesar. And everybody was relieved when, he, when they heard that, because that took the responsibility off of them. And in order for him to see Caesar, he had to go to Rome. Now he wanted to go to Rome anyway but he didn't want to go that way. But sometimes we get what we want in a different way. And so that's what happened here. Uh, when he was in this rented house, and normally I know that you know that he was a tent maker and probably his business enterprise was, was set aside. And so these people in Philippi sent him some money and he was greatly appreciative of it. And so he's sending back this letter to thank them for their support. But you know, whenever you read about Paul, you wonder why he he didn't choose another path. He was so bold. Uh, He didn't, as I said before, fly under the radar. And the reason why is because he had God's calling on his life. And he made this profound statement in Romans 9, 3. This is what he said. For I could wish that I were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Now, that's a deep statement right there. and, And I don't think that I can plumb the depths of that statement. Uh, he believed what, what Peter said in Acts 4.12, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. He believed that he had the only message of salvation. That's what pressed him on. Uh, he was entrusted with the salvation message. Oswald Smith was, was at one time the pastor of the People's Church in Toronto, Canada, Joanne and I visited that church many years ago just to see the church because we'd heard about his ministry in Canada. He was uh, one of the most prolific missionary statesmen. And if you go home and go on the Internet and put Oswald Smith, you'll find a part of his famous sermon on there, and you'll see him in action on YouTube. Uh, And one of his most famous lines was this, Why should anyone hear the gospel twice before everyone has heard it once. And uh, he said that he signed up to be a missionary, and he went to the missionary society, and they said, you can't cut it, you'll never make it. And so they discouraged him, and he said, okay, I'll just go be a pastor of a church. And as the years rolled by, he kept, in his words, finding substitutes for him. And when he gave the message, he says, in our church, the People's Church of Toronto, Canada, we have 300 substitutes out doing missionary work for me. Well, that's what Paul was. He was a missionary. He wouldn't be denied uh, because he knew that the payment had been made, just like this young boy up here, Jonathan Perry, that the payment had been made and the message needed to get out and there was no hope without that message. You and I are the storytellers today. You know, we read about these things and we put them in historical context. But, you know, God's looking at you and me to fill the vacuum today. We are the storytellers. He was greatly hated for preaching. Um, That's why he always seemed to land up in jail. Uh, Just think of it with me this morning. He was the privileged class before he walked along that road to Damascus and was converted. And just in the period of three days... He went from the privileged class to the persecuted class. You know, in our society, we like to talk about from rags to what? Riches. Well, he went from riches to rags real fast when he accepted the Lord. He was cut off at every angle. But you know, the reason why so many people love the book of Philippians is because it just, it just overflows about how a person can have joy in tough times. And, you know, that's a resounding perennial message. Joy in tough times. Uh, It's a wonderful thing. And if you read the whole book of Philippians, I think you'll find about 19 times in different ways that theme of rejoicing and joy comes to the surface. Uh, Now, that's not the first time, of course, that Paul had any joy. Remember, when he was locked up in Acts chapter 16... Uh, With his friend Silas, they were praying and singing hymns to God, and uh, they were having a pretty nice revival, even though they were locked up. Well, here in verse number 4, we find that uh, Paul refers to having joy in prayer. Uh, On Wednesday night, we're talking about prayer. We're talking about the real definition of prayer. What is it? It's communication with God. I think if you would interview anybody on the street today, they would say, you know, prayer to them was just asking God today for their today list. But prayer is communion with God, supposed to be more than anything else. And, uh, and, so, and so he connects in verse number four, prayer and joy. Psalm 1611 is a, uh, is a great verse. Let's read it together. You will show me the path of life In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, if prayer is communion with God, look what it says. In your presence is fullness of joy. And so no wonder Paul overflowed with joy because he, remember, he had this big prayer list. And it wasn't just for him. Most of it was for other people. And so whenever he entered into prayer, he entered into communion with God and his heart filled with joy because life doesn't get any better than that. Life does not get any better than that. When we walk with God and when we enter into communion with God, I'll tell you, that's the ultimate. It really is. I love James 4.10. Let's read this together. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. You know, when you humble yourselves before the Lord and you come to God in prayer, what he does first of all is he lifts you up into his presence. Follow me. He lifts you up, first of all, into his presence. And so uh, there's great joy in prayer. And for those of you who have been learning uh, this discipline, this, uh, you, you understand what I'm saying. He was also joyful because of their partnership that he had forged with them. Look at verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The the Greek word fellowship there is koinonia, and uh, it it means partnership. Write that in, partnership. Because whenever we read the word fellowship, we think of coffee and what? Donuts. They didn't. You know, that wasn't very high on their priority list. Uh, They thought of, of partnership, joining together in the work for Christ. And in verse 5 it says, for your partnership in the gospel from the first day. Whenever Paul started this church way back in Philippi, uh, they became partners. And they joined together, they locked together. It's been about 10 years, by the way, that they have been partners. Uh, Partners in many forms. Last week when we had the young couple here that were going to uh, Pakistan, they were back in the office and And right before she left, she said, "The thing we need most of of all is prayer." And and so that was the first thing that Paul brings up here in Philippians chapter four. But down in verse number nine, he gets specific about what he's praying for. Look at it with me, please, verse nine. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. He says, "This is what I'm praying. I know you love each other, but I want it to grow." I want you to have more love for each other. And I want your love to be based on knowledge. Now, this is interesting. Because sometimes people's love is based on sentimentalism or emotionalism uh, or sensationalism. But he says, I want your love to be based on knowledge. And then I want it to be a, a knowledge that is discerning. What is discernment? It's the practical application of knowledge so that you may know what is the best. You know, and we have this struggle always in our, in our world today. Christian people are offered so many opportunities, good opportunities to become involved. And before long, we're scattered all over the place. And, and so Paul says, I'm praying for you that, that God will give you knowledge, and God will give you discernment so that you can choose the best. Because how many of us, boy, and I'll be offender number one, how many of us have, have offered the best on the altar of the good? You know, this is good, that's good, this is good. Uh, he says, listen, I'm praying for the best for your life. Boy, how'd you like to have a prayer partner like that? No wonder the Philippian church was vibrant. And look what else he's praying for. Let's let's go down the list here. Verse 10 that you may approve the things that are excellent. This is also that you can choose the best things that you may be sincere, that means pure. And without offense, that means an obstacle to others till the day of Christ. Now this is pretty specific right here. And then he tops it all off in verse number 11 being filled, <coughs> excuse me, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So here he delineates uh, what he's praying for. You know, and I know oftentimes we get a little guilty and we say, oh, I forgot to pray for the church over here and I forgot God bless that church. And uh, Paul says, now listen, I get specific with God. And all of these things which have just mentioned this morning are irreplaceable in a person's life. They're irreplaceable. And so he says we're partners. And he also said, there is joy in shared blessings. Verse number 7, let's look at that. The last part of that last sentence says, partakers with me of grace, or the blessings of God. We share in God's blessings. Uh, Whenever the Philippian church had a victory, Paul was excited and whenever he had a victory, they were excited. We share similar blessings, he said. And that brings me joy. When I see that you're blessed, it fills my heart with joy. That's our, that should be our attitude, right? When one of God's people are blessed, I say it. We just say, thank you, Lord. That's a wonderful thing. It brings joy to our life. He says here, I have you in my heart. Uh, and there's joy, too, in security. Look at verse number 6 being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is a great verse to memorize. It really is, because you need it. You have to bring it out every now and then. It's one of those, uh, it's one of those foundational verses relative to eternal security. You know, when someone receives the Lord, God's work begins in them. It just begins in them. One bumper sticker said, Be patient, God isn't finished with me yet. For sure. Uh, God has a big project with most of us, right? Sure. God's continue, this refers to God's continue work in them. It's finally finished when believers meet Jesus. God would continue his work in them. Some people have the idea that the Lord saves them and then turns the keeping part over to them. God forbid. We can't do that. And so whenever he looked at the Philippian church, he knew that they were saved, they had accepted Jesus, and they were secure because God was working with them, and he promised to work with them all the way until they see Christ. Until the work is finished, God finishes what he starts. First Peter 1 Peter 1.5, Peter put it in another way. Let's read this. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. Peter said, listen, we're kept by the power of God. And so there's joy in that. You know a person somewhere, and and you know that they're saved. That kind of that brings a lot of joy to your heart, doesn't it? It brings joy to my heart. Well, another thing we learn is found in verse number 12. Look at this. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Boy, is this great. What he's saying here is there's spiritual progress in tough times. Oftentimes when people come to tough times, they think, well, you know, my ministry is kind of... Dried up. I don't know what's wrong. I, I, I don't have the, uh, the, infrastructure that I really need to do my ministry. But you know, ministry is not based on, your infrastructure. Ministry is not based on what you think you need to do ministry. Ministry emanates from who you are, where you are, wherever you are. That's ministry. And so Paul here says, listen, don't worry about me. Now, remember, he is the marquee Christian. And he's put in jail. And he is making one of the most astounding statements right here. Because if you take one of the the marquee Christians and you put him away, what's going to happen to the work of God? Is it going to go down? Is it going to level off? No, he said no. He says it's actually advanced the preaching of the gospel. How about that? He said, the gospel has been moved forward because I am incarcerated. And then he goes on to explain it. And what he's talking about here is unthought of opportunities. You know, God knows where the opportunities are. And so he put this spiritual powerhouse right in the epicenter of... The kingmakers, the Praetorian Guard. You know, the military, they're the big power in the land. You know that? We just saw that in Egypt. You know, they're having all these riots. The military guy steps up and he says, Now listen, we're in charge. Any questions? Can I take questions? (laughs) Nobody says, No questions. You're in charge. The military, they're the kingmakers. And so here he takes the prince of the gospel, and puts him in a place that he never dreamed he could be. He says, I have influenced the whole Praetorian guard. Wow. The gospel is advancing tremendously in Rome. And we felt so sorry for him because he was locked up. And so he says, listen, this is a good thing. And then he went on to explain further why it was good. Look at verse 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident in my chains, are much more bold, and I've circled that much more bold. You know, when you have a strong personality like Paul, uh, you know, he's in charge. When he's on the scene, he's in charge. But when he's off the scene, you know what happens? The other people have a chance. When he comes on the scene, everybody like slinks out of the way. He's the man. But Paul's gone, and so now what happens is all these other people rise up. All these other people rise up, and now they're more bold, and all over the place they're preaching because they love Paul. Uh, They are preaching the gospel, and it takes much more work to do that. But, you know, there's another group that didn't love Paul. Are you surprised about that? Christians who didn't love Christians. Look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. Uh, These are Christians that didn't love Paul. They might have had an attachment to the Lord, but not to Paul. And so what they did is they took advantage of his imprisonment for personal gain. They wanted to advance their own agenda, their own prestige. And uh, they exercised selfish ambition. You know, Paul was the marquee name. You know, when he came into town, everybody said, okay, could we have an appointment with him? And you know what they wanted? They wanted to be the guy that everybody wanted to get an appointment with. I know this shocks you. Jealousy. Paul's the man. And so they said, boy, thank God he's in jail. We finally got rid of him. Take his name off the marquee. I can visualize mine up there. I'm next. I'm going to take his place. Now, ambition is good, but selfish ambition isn't. And one of my recently favorite verses is Philippians 2, 3. Let's read it. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Uh, Don't do this with self. Now, Paul has this great attitude, and this is a good place to come to right here. Now, he's looking out, and he's in, jail, and he's in prison, uh, a house arrest, and he's having a good time. He's chained to these guys. They cannot get away from him. And boy, I'll tell you what, I just have a feeling if you were chained to Paul, you'd come to Christ. I, I just have that feeling. He is so convincing and so dynamic and so spirit-filled. And God sent him on a mission. And so he says, you know, I have a really good ministry right now. This is kind of neat. You know, I can't go out, but they're coming to me. And and then he says, look at all these other people now coming up out of the woodwork. They're preaching all over the place. This is all good. And then these people that don't like me, they're preaching. What's his attitude? What's his real attitude toward them? Well, uh, let's look at it. Verse 18, this is really neat. We need this today. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, whether whether it be wrong or right, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Paul's attitude went like this. If you preach the true gospel, I don't care what your motives are. If your motives are bad, God will deal with you. But at least the gospel is being preached. And if you preach a false gospel, I don't care about your motive, uh, how good your motives are. You're dangerous and must stop preaching your false gospel. Good motives don't excuse your false message. So So here we are in our world and we look out and we try to be fruit inspectors and we say, okay, this preacher, he's haywire. Don't look at me like that. This preacher is haywire. And we say, oh, this guy's wrong. Paul says, Listen, if he is preaching the gospel, I rejoice. I rejoice. I dare say today that some people in this auditorium came to Christ through some haywire that's not that's not a Greek word. Some crazy ministry somewhere, and you came to Christ and then you ran away, thank God from that ministry, and you got away from it because it was abusive or something like else. But somebody gave you the gospel. And so all around the world, we can't go around and investigate all these people. I mean, we have no power over this. What Paul says, listen, when somebody comes to Christ, I'm just rejoicing about it. I don't care whether the guy loves me or not. I don't care if he's doing it for selfish ambition. That's his business. He has to stand before God. See, the message of salvation is not in the messenger. It's in the message. You know, you walk downtown downtown sometimes and there's this guy walking up. He's got a megaphone and he's acting real crazy. And you're thinking, man, what's he doing there? I'd never do that. And people are coming to God somehow. Paul says, I rejoice. Leave him alone. Thank God somebody's preaching the gospel. Amen? Amen. Somebody's preaching. And so so that was his attitude. And so uh, he, he takes the last part of the whole book and he talks about uh, he has this uh, desire in his heart to go to heaven. But if God doesn't take him, he's just happy to be there and keep doing his ministry. And, and really what he says, and I'm going to summarize this for you. He said... He said, listen, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better than what I, what, what I, of course, evidently, than what I'm doing now. But I'm fine with what I'm doing now because it's for eternity. And I'm happy about that. And so what Paul is saying is I'm in a win-win situation. We would say, hey, Paul, l- let's get enough bail to get you out of there. Paul said, don't mess with me. The steps of a good man are ordered by the what? The Lord. He said, I'm okay. I've learned in every situation to be content. And so he said, if God wants to take me, that'll be good. And if he doesn't, uh, I'm going to be more fruitful. That's the bottom line. Read the last section of that section. That's that's what it's about. And so I think that that lets you and I learn from that, okay? Now, this guy, evidently, that predicted the rapture, he was wrong, huh? (laughs) Wally, our, our, our... funny guy in the church he said he came up to the church he says pastor he said I've driven by all those churches they're empty (laughs) he said they're all empty (laughs) Oh, he knows how to raise your blood pressure you know that (laughs) well I'll tell you what it would be I would have been happy if that guy would have been right I think you would have too uh But we're still here, right? And so let's be diligent about doing the work of the Lord. One of these days, maybe the trumpet will blow in our lifetime. But if it doesn't, let's be content where we are because we're in the greatest work in all the world. We're preparing people for eternity. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like to ask you to look into your heart today. You know, I know it's easy to feel sorry for yourself because we live, uh, you know, we talk about the American dream and all this stuff. But, you know, God has a dream that's different than your dream. And you might be going through some really, really deep waters right now. And you're wondering, boy, you know, what's going on? It's hard to figure those things out. And I don't think we can but I, from what I've said to you today in the Bible, I think that you can be fruitful in Christ and growing in Christ and effective no matter what situation you find yourself in because the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, Psalm thirty-seven twenty-three. steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And so let's surrender ourselves today to that proposition. You're here and your situation's just not what you wish it were. If you open your eyes, I think you'll find some pretty good opportunities around you to make an impact forever for people. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love, and we pray now that as we, as we prepare to uh, conclude our service, that you will just take these truths and, and just explode them in our heart, Lord, and help us to learn from each and every one of them.